Ephesians. Uh, so, uh, guys, if you've got some scriptures, can you pass them? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and these fine fellows will get you a Bible. We're going through the, the letter to the church at Ephesus, and we're in chapter 3 this morning, chapter 3. We've got an enormous amount of scripture to cover. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me... Uh, There we go. Before I have you stand, for those of you who are visiting for the first time, I want to tell you, at Calvary Chapel, uh, we go through the scriptures verse, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the whole counsel of God's word. And, and so right now, we're going through what's called the epistle to the Ephesians. The word epistle means letter. It's a letter that was written to the church at Ephesus by the apostle Paul. Paul was the pastor of this church for three and a half years. He helped plant this church. And, and at the time that he's writing this letter, uh, the letters were written on vellum and you had to roll them out. And so they'd always put the name of the person who was writing the letter at the top so you wouldn't have to roll it all the way down to get to the bottom see who wrote it. And then they'd also conclude it with their name at the bottom so you were able to see it. Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome. He doesn't know if he's going to be alive the next day and he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. He loved these people. Uh, Ephesus is now in modern day Turkey. Um, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, it was a city that had great Greek influence and Roman influence. They worshipped the goddess Diana, um, and it was a city that was uh, very decadent. It was very immoral. Um, uh, there was sexual promiscuity throughout the entire city. Uh, the Temple of Diana, greatest Diana of the Ephesians, the Temple of Diana had a thousand prostitutes at any given moment that would come down into the city in the evenings. Uh, and they would ply their trade with all the seafaring merchants because it was a port city. I've been there. It's, it's an amazing archaeological, it's one of the most amazing I've ever seen. And so they would come down into the city, and they would get these thousand temple prostitutes that would cycle through uh, from the women of the city. Every woman that resided in the city limits, whether a mother, a wife, a daughter of a certain age, they were all required to um, participate in prostitution to bring the funds and all the revenue to the, the temple for Diana. So the, the whole city was affected by sexual promiscuity. In addition, alcoholism was rampant, drug use, all that stuff. It was just a mess of a city. And now this, this little tiny rabbi comes into town, and uh, history declares that the Apostle Paul was an ugly-looking fellow, and he was very small, and he had been beaten uh, and left for dead, uh, as you read through the book of Acts. And so his face was probably really marred. And, and uh, we also know that he had been married, because to be a Sanhedrin, he had to have been married. He never talks about his wife, but apparently she left him, as you see in Corinthians 7, abandonment of marriage by a non-believing spouse. She just walked away when he professed Jesus as his Messiah, and she just said, I am not going that direction. I don't believe Christ is the Messiah, and so she bailed on him. And so here's Paul, and he's preaching in Ephesus for three and a half years, and he's just all marred, and, <clears throat> and they were so deeply touched by him. They loved this man, and he loved them. And he wanted to encourage this church, and so he's writing this epistle from prison to a church that desperately needs its identity reestablished, its identity in Christ. And, and before I get into the reading, let me just say one more thing. We've been studying in the past weeks this idea of our identity. Uh, we, we try to surmise who we are by what others have said about us or what we think about ourselves. And we've got those voices in our head uh, of, of, of what people think or, or perceive us to be. And, and I, I shared with you the story about the pastor that had told me when I was a youth minister, he yelled at me and he said, you'll never be a pastor, you don't love people, 
uh, you, and he just he was yelling at me and pointing his finger. So whenever I fail as a pastor or I, I forget somebody's name or forget their birthday or forget to do something, I just hear that voice recurring. You'll never be a pastor. You don't love people. And, and it, it's, it, it, it haunts you. Some of you have those voices from your parents, some of them from your schoolmates. And, and so the Apostle Paul knew that this church having been raised in a city so miserable as Ephesus that these folks had all kinds of ideas of who they were, that you know, you're know you no, nothing better than a whore or you're, you're just a drug addict or you're a philanderer or you're a liar or you're a thief. And every one of them, such as were some of you. And Paul knew the whole city, the whole church had had a past. And we all have a past. We all have a past. But what he's doing now is we're new creatures in Christ. The old is past and new has come. God has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. So in chapters 1 and 2, Paul's laying down who you are now. That's who they said <clears throat> you used to be, but now you're a new creature in Christ. And now, now you, you've been chosen and predestined from the foundation of the world to be, to, to, to be saved. And that, you, that you've been adopted in, into, into God's family that you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed. And he goes through all these heavenly blessings, just numerous. And then we get into to chapter 2, as we've been doing in the, the last few weeks, and this idea that we're alive to, to, God, uh, to, to, to the Lord. We're, we're dead to ourselves and alive to God, and we've been reconciled to the Lord. <clears throat> and all this has come together, and Paul's explained it to the church. He's saying, now, do you see who you are? Do you see who you are? This is that high and noble calling in Christ. You had all these struggles and these sins that easily beset you, and you, and you were, you were on, the, on the, the trading blocks of the, of, of the slave blocks of the world, and, and you'd be drawn to drugs, or you'd be drawn to this, or you'd be drawn to pornography, and God says, I have delivered you and redeemed you and paid the price. And you're now a new creature in Christ, and you're my child, and you're no longer a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. And you go, wow. And we've offered, you know, as, as, it, as the Lord says, it's by grace you've been saved, that not of yourselves, it's not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And he, he presents this idea that Christianity is different from every religion in the world. And so many of you in the past weeks have responded to the salvation by grace to receive the Lord by faith as your Lord and Savior. And, and all of a sudden, you're a new creature in Christ and your sins have been forgiven and you've been reconciled to God the Father. That's a wonderful blessing. That's a wonderful blessing. And for those of you who've given your heart to the Lord You've come to realize something as we're getting into chapter 3 in a moment. You're starting to realize something. It was a marvelous day you gave your heart to the Lord, and you were forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. It was, I remember it vividly in my life. I mean, it was just like all of this burden was lifted, and there was joy. And I was thinking, this is so great. There's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. <laughs> no, no, nothing like it. I mean, it was, you know, the honeymoon ended quick and, and trial came in and the, the old man revisited and those sins had easily beset and I'm struggling and wondering, well, was I ever saved? And you're questioning your salvation and you're wondering if, you know, you go through all of it and the guilt and the condemnation. Then you start to read the word and Romans 8, 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. And you start to realize that there's a significance and a strength in walking with the Lord. And, and the enemy wants to derail you and get you out of the equation. He wants you to, okay, so you, you have a saved soul, but I'm going to make sure you have a wasted life, the enemy says. All right, so you're going to wash up on the shores of glory, but I'm going to so, I'm, I'm so inundate you with, with issues and struggles that I'm going to make you ineffective in the body of Christ. I don't want you sharing your faith with anyone. I want you doubting yourself. I want you 
worrying. I want you struggling. I want you filled with anxiety. And, and we find ourselves in those places where we're paralyzed in the body of Christ. We're wondering if our faith is any good. We go through depression. We go through depression. Greatest way out of depression is to serve someone else, by the way. Get out of that abyss of yourself. I mean, if you throw a rock into that well, it never reaches bottom. But when you get outside yourself and you serve others, the joy returns. That's joy. It's an acronym. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. J-O-Y. And so as we start to find this joy in service, we go through these trials. And, and just before we read, this is the last thing. Trials. Trials. They're awful times. Imprisonment. Where, yeah, we're Christians, we've been saved, but we find ourselves imprisoned back to that same sin. We have the guilt and the condemnation and the guilt, it's cyclical. You feel so guilty and you don't want to tell anyone. And the Bible says, walk in the light as he is in the light, confessing your sins one to another, but you're afraid to tell somebody because perfect love casts out all fear and you're not sure that the fellowship's loving enough and that there'll be gossip if you tell somebody and they're going to attack your character, you're going to lose your family. And all that fear motivates you and then the guilt establishes and you feel less than than perfect and you just feel miserable and so you, you you can't go to the Lord because of your shame and you can't talk to anyone because of your shame and, this, and Satan is a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour and so he, he whispers to you because he's a liar and, and he loves to isolate you because that's what a predator does. He takes the weak of the, of the herd and he isolates him and then devours him. And so in your guilt and your shame, he just whispers to you, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You're a pathetic loser. You're a pathetic loser. God wants nothing to do with you. He, 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 why would you go to him again with the same sin that you've committed a thousand times? And you go, yeah, why would I? Oh, yeah, and the church doesn't. And so now you don't go to church and you don't fellowship and you're not reading the word and Satan's just chewing you up and you have a saved soul but a wasted life and he's had this ability to isolate you and paralyze you. And that's what a, a predator does. And so with this isolation and, 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 and paralyzation, you're struggling and you're in a trial. And you think, oh, my. And, and Satan's good at trials. He's really good at trials. But we're going to learn something this morning. And this is going to be one that's going to throw, throw you for a loop, some of you. I got news for you. No matter what trial the enemy's put forward in your life, God's sovereign. And nothing gets to you without first passing through the sovereign hand of the Lord. He allows it in your life. You're like, wait a minute. He's allowing this? Yes. Yes. And the only thing is your, your circumstances this morning more than likely are not going to change. Oh, uh, I'm leaving. I mean, can I get a donut on the way out? <laughs> I thought that maybe you're going to make it all better. No, we're, no, I'm not going to change your circumstances. There's no circumstantial changes here. Maybe for a few, like Greg, Greg having the circumstances of the lump in his neck. God does that periodically, but I will say, circumstances aren't going to change this morning. Here's what's going to change. Your perspective you're going to start to realize that this isn't from the enemy. This is passed through the sovereign hand of God for your benefit. And then I got one more for you. Trials don't always come from the devil. Sometimes the Lord just gives them to you and me. <laughs> this is sweet. And not just trials. Sometimes he imprisons you. Really? I mean, I, I raised my hand a couple weeks ago to receive the Lord. You didn't say anything about this prison thing. <laughs> no, he does. He does. He imprisons you. Why? Let's take a look. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. 
First two chapters we covered, yes? Amen? All right. And now we understand all these, and then the Apostle Paul begins, and he says, for this reason, all the things that he listed in chapters 1 and 2, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of the devil? Yes? Who? For who? For you Gentiles. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. I mean, uh, I would say there's a handful of folks who have been raised Jewish in the room, but for the most part, all of you guys are Gentiles. Gentiles means foreigner other than Jewish. And it was, it was a term for the Greek world. It was a term for anyone who wasn't an Israel, uh, Israelite. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for who? You. For you. And as he's writing the, to this to this church in Ephesus by the Holy Spirit. He's writing to you and me this morning. And that's the only verse we're going to cover, so let's pray. See if we can make a sermon out of it. Lord, for this reason, your word says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Lord, that you would ordain and orchestrate imprisonment. That you would bring into our life imprisonment and trial. That the Apostle Paul is in prison because he was faithful to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. For no other reason. He wasn't guilty of doing anything wrong that most prisoners are in prison for. He was faithful to the call upon his life that you had placed. He was 100% fully in the center of your will. And he was in prison. And Lord, this morning as we start to understand through your word that being in your will is not always going to be easy. I pray, Lord, that you comfort folks, especially right now as they're going through trials. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be fruitful. And that they can find joy in the midst of it. Lord Jesus, the cross wasn't easy, but you say because of the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. There can be joy in the midst of the trial, even though it's not easy. You can bless us. And Lord, we know that that difficulty doesn't come from the devil, though he may try to pile on. You only allow it in our life if if it's being used together for good. It passes through your sovereign hand. And so, Lord, I pray that you teach folks, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, that we would look at these circumstances of life and we would see your hand in the midst of them and rejoice and give you praise, honor, and glory. So strengthen now, Lord, I pray. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 Well, have a seat. Would you turn with me to the book of James? It's towards the right. And we're going to be in chapter 1. James chapter 1. I was so excited, I printed out my notes, and then I left them up in my office. So I'm going to try to get through this without notes. Good luck, Rob. Um, In James chapter 1, look at what it says in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everyone say the word servant. That means that, that you serve in his household. You belong to him. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren, count it all what? Joy. Say it again. Joy. When you fall into what? Various trials. You count it what? When you fall into what? You're saying it. Do you believe it? Count it all what? When you fall into what? Oh, is it, let's just write a song about that and sing it. Doesn't that just feel good? 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces, oh, we love this word, don't we? Produces what? Perseverance. Uh, patience, perseverance. Lord, I want patience. I want it now. Yeah? <laughs> but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, so what, do our, what do the trials do? They produce what? Patience. And how do we get the patience by we, that in the middle of the trial we count it all? And where do we get joy? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Let me tell you how you don't get patience in a trial. Instead of practicing joy, practice yaj. Yourself first, others second, Jesus last. Yaj. Yaj. Hey, thanks, bro. Okay, now we got a sermon. Yes! I'm going to go like an hour now. Thank you so much. Bless you. It's only one page. So the idea is, in the trial, we count it all joy. That's how we get through the trial. And what does the trial do for us when we count it all joy? We get patience. And then patience perfects our faith. Yes? So now Paul's in, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's in prison. And he says, I'm a prisoner here because the Lord placed me here. I'm in the center of God's will, and I'm chained to two guards and I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't this great? You are a servant, make me one too. And we sing the song, you know, Jesus, you're a prisoner, make me one too. That doesn't, uh, anyone pen those words? You've been crucified, crucify me too. Mm, I, that feels good. Doesn't that touch you deeply? This is a Christian calling. This is a Christian calling. It's tough. And, and, and you look at this and you think, this is awful. Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter 4, 16 through 19, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now listen to this. Therefore, let those who suffer, pay attention, pay attention. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. I don't know about you, but that verse bothers me. Let Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God. Welcome to the body of Christ. It's the will of God that you suffer. Isn't this just so great? Doesn't that make you feel good? This is a church growth seminar. Welcome to the body of Christ. You're going to be suffering. Oh, pastor, no, 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 no. The scripture doesn't say that. Oh, no, it does. It does. And Jesus said, a servant isn't any greater than his master. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. Does this offend you? Do you want to leave? This is a fallen world. There's a lot of hurt and pain out there. It's awful. You've got to get into it to get them out of it. You've got to understand it, and you're going to walk through it. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you get a Cadillac, a big mansion. That's a perversion of 50 years of, of unprecedented wealth in this nation from the blessings of God that we're now losing because we, we love the gifts more than the giver. We've abandoned Him. And there will be suffering. There is suffering. There's suffering right now in the room. People can testify to it. I've heard it all week. I know. 
I know how tough it is. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when, you are, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. I, you know what? Falsely. I, I usually fall into that category as they revile and persecute you because of what you've done. None of, no, no one else, just me. Thanks. I, I, thanks for the comfort, everybody. I mean, how, how many of us can say we've been reviled and persecuted because we've done justly? And yet Jesus says, you're going to get this side of it, but you're also going to get that side of it. You do good, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get reviled. And what does he say you're supposed to do? Again, he does what James says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, not just joyful, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward on this earth from all the people who love you and adore you. No, it says great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets. I mean, think of the imprisonment. I mean, first look at Job. Job starts to serve the Lord. There's none more righteous than Job in all the land. And what does he get for serving the Lord? God says, you know what, Satan? And Satan says to him, the only reason why Job serves you is because he has his health or he has his family or he has his wealth or whatever it is. And you know what happens? God says, take it away from him. He'll still praise me. And Satan just goes to town on him. From the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, he's covered in boils. He's sitting in a... He, first, he hears that his whole family's died. All of his children are dead. Then all the th- things he's owned are stolen. His wife says, why don't you curse God and die? He goes through all this misery. Now he's broke. He's penniless. He once was the wealthiest man in all the area. He's sitting covered in boils. He's taking a broken piece of pottery shard, scraping the boils to get some sort of relief from the pain. We don't know any idea or have any idea what, it, what the ailment was, but it was awful. And he's sitting there, and, and, and he's in the middle of that mess, and who ordained it? God. How do you write a song about that? How do you explain that to somebody, that this is the Christian walk? And yet, you know what the first book of the Bible ever written was? Job. It probably predates Genesis. Because the one thing God knew that we'd need to hear as people is that suffering is redemptive. And God uses it together for good. In a fallen world where people suffer, I will use it together for good. And, and, and I know what you can take. And I'll walk you through it. And yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. But the trick is, you're going to lose your perspective and you're going to lose it when you don't have joy. If you have yaj, you're in trouble. You have joy, you'll, you, you'll you exceedingly rejoice exceedingly. Be exceedingly glad. You focus on the Lord and you realize why you're there, that God has placed you. I, and that's how Paul can write this epistle. He's saying, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He placed me here. Why? For you. I'm other-centered. Jesus first, others second. I'm here for you. Nobody was preaching to the Gentiles. I, I left my cushy job in Israel. I lost my wife. I was a Pharisee of the highest order, trained under the best. I speak multiple languages, have multiple degrees, Paul could say. You have no idea what a cushy job I had waiting for me. And now I I, I was led into Samaria, blind. I've been kicked through the streets like like a soccer ball. Every city I've gone to, I've been in every prison you can imagine. I've been at perils at sea, at perils at land. I've been bitten by snakes. I've been robbed by countrymen. I've, I've been beaten. I've been persecuted. You have no idea what I've been through. And I've got to tell you something. I went through all of that for you because God loves you. And you know what? I'm a minister of the gospel. 
I'm a minister of the gospel. I am 100% in the center of God's will, and I'm in a prison. Isn't that marvelous? I mean, how do we continue in the book of Ephesians unless we just stop at that verse and realize that Paul is saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you. What does that tell us? You want to get something out of the book of Ephesians? You've got to understand the calling. You're no longer your own. You belong to Christ. And he wants to send you into places that nobody wants to go to deliver people nobody loves but God. And he's going to take you to places you never imagined and speak to people you never once before loved. But now your heart is broken and the trials you go through make you even more empathetic to minister to them. Every trial you're going through is the perfecting of your faith. What does that mean? I see God in every step of it. I I had the joy of officiating a wedding yesterday. It was in Santa Barbara. I I had the chance to watch both of these folks come to Christ that, that got married. And I've watched the trials and the seasons of their life and the struggles. The the bride, uh, her family was there. Actually, her mother and her stepdad and her brother. And 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 I had the chance to meet her brother. Uh, she's she's from Australia. She she comes from a, a famous sports family, a tennis family. If I said the name, you'd know it. Wimbledon champion. That was her uncle. And, and her dad was a tennis player. And, and uh, her dad and her brother were both tennis players traveling the circuit. Well, her dad and her mom were going through some struggles in their life, and they were going through a trial in their marriage. And, and, and she was put in a, uh, a boarding school in the outback of Australia. And, and, you know, she was at the age of 12, and she was long and lanky and, and now came into being a beautiful young teenager and was excited about her dad seeing the changes. And, you know, like a daughter, you know, a young girl feels about her daddy. And, and her brother, who's younger, was traveling with her dad, and they were in the United States, I think coming from New York to Dallas. And, and her parents were getting reconciled. Their, their, their marriage was kind of coming back, and, and life was looking really good. And all of a sudden... From the flight from the East Coast to Dallas, the, the plane hit wind shear. This was long before they had Doppler radar, and, and it was in aviation history. This is one of those things that, that changed aviation history, and, and was a uh, a barometer for for you know changing all the radar systems on planes. But they hit wind shear, and the plane crashed. Awful crash. The majority of the people on the plane died. Her dad died. Her brother lived. A little young guy, he lived. And here he was last night giving a toast. And you'd think, you survive a plane crash, you lose your dad. Would you agree that's pretty awful? Would you agree that's a trial that would shake you at the foundation of your life? He's married to a woman that had had children previously, loves those children. Neat just to watch he and his wife. And, And they had a child together. Had a child together. Little Katie. And, you know, Katie has cerebral palsy. She's five years old. And you think, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. What kind of a God are you? I lose my dad in a plane crash. I have a child. I'm raising somebody else's. 
And now when I have a chance to have my own, you give me one with cerebral palsy. What kind of a God are you? Well, that's the perspective of Yaj. That's a selfish perspective. But bless this young guy's heart. I, I, was, I was so encouraged by him. I walked over and met Katie, his daughter, and he's holding Katie in his arms, his wife right there. He goes, I'm sorry, Katie's really tired. And, and you could tell she was tired. She, you know, in cerebral palsy, you can't keep her head up. That little girl was so sweet. Smiles. Just giving them away. Just Blessings come in different packages. Katie requires a lot of attention. You think, well, that's not what I planned for my life. What, you want to be bitter? Or you want to see the blessing in front of your eyes when you get, get outside yourself? Get the focus off of you. Makes life horribly miserable for you and everyone else around you. When they started to realize what a blessing they had in Katie, all of a sudden the joy. And when I'm listening to the parents describe their daughter to me, I'm deeply touched. And what it's done for their marriage and what it's done in their life. I talked about Eros and Agape and Phileos, one of these things I shared at a wedding. And he just said, you know, love isn't this, this attraction across the room and, and this magical fairy tale moment. It's through the hard processes of life that you start to realize what matters and what's important. And it's the trials that make you love each other. It's the trials that allow your hearts to be bonded to one another. And how are you going to love people when you don't engage in their life, when it's all about you and you build the fences? I'm a prisoner for your sake, Paul says. I labor for you. I endeavor for you. I love you. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. I'm in this prison because I wanted you to hear the truth, that the truth would set you free. I'm in prison because I did nothing save but for being the center of God's will and obey His call to minister to you. You look at little Katie. Prisoned in her body. Right in the center of God's will. Some of you are going, how can that be that God would allow sickness? Because it glorifies Him. Oh, no, it does. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Read the book of Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're in a fallen world. God can use anything. And you look at this, this little girl in the package that we would say is, is, is awful from our worldly, selfish eyes. And you look at Katie, and she's just filled with joy. No burden, no self-consciousness, no, no worries about anything. You, you never have to worry about her getting involved in the wrong crowd. And, and, and her whole heart is, is every muscle straining to show you she has joy. And we, we've got arms and legs that work. And we're imprisoned to our selfishness. And her whole heart as she's imprisoned to her body is, is, is for your sake and for everyone around her that she can tell you she loves you. And this little five-year-old's ministering to her mom and dad. We get news that our child has cerebral palsy. We're, we're absolutely devastated. That's not what I signed up for. Any type of deformity is not what I signed up for. I got news for you. Those kids are the blessing on the face of the earth from God himself. We have such a warped mindset. 
We don't value life because it doesn't bless me. I didn't sign up for this. There's no joy. And you know what? There's no maturity. And there certainly isn't any faith. I close with the, the passage in Luke 17, 5. And it took the apostles all the way to Luke 17. You don't have to read it. I'll just, I'll just tell it to you. It took the apostles all the way to Luke 17 before they asked Jesus this one thing. And he said, Lord, increase our faith. All the way to Luke 17. Lord, increase our faith. And you know why they asked that? Because in the, in the book of Luke, if you go through it, they were humiliated. A Samaritan had more faith than they did. A centurion, a Roman centurion, had more faith than they did. A prostitute had more faith than they did. Property-destroying friends that lowered their friend through the roof, the paralytic through the roof, had more faith than the apostles did. Fright, yeah, he just, the poor, the poor woman had more faith than they did. Jesus would look and say, and all of Israel haven't seen such great faith. And the apostles are going, wait a minute. We're your posse, bro. And we're Jews. You're talking about Samaritans and centurions, and you're talking about poor people, and you're talking about prostitutes and property-destroying heathens. What about us? You don't have any faith. What do you mean we don't have any faith? You don't have any faith. We said, Lord, increase our faith. One of my favorites is, it, 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 well, let me see if I can walk you through it. Go over to Luke chapter 8, and we'll close with this. Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water And they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and they awoke him saying, Master, Master, we're dying. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, Where's your faith? And they were afraid. And marveled saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. And another story is when Peter was walking on water, he began to drown. And he said the shortest prayer in the scripture, Lord, save me. Imagine if he tried to pray like someone was, Heavenly Father, O oh, gracious, benevolent. Lord, save me. He loves that prayer. And he grabbed him. He says, where's your faith? He wasn't rebuking him. He was saying, Why would you doubt that I wouldn't save you? How could you doubt me? I love you. It's a trial. I understand that. I know what you can handle. I put you there. I'm not going to let you down. 
And you whine and you scream and you kick and you, 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 you're acting like a child. Where's your faith? Grow up. I've been faithful from day one. I'll walk you all the way through this. You keep your eyes on me. You serve others. It'll make sense. The trials shouldn't derail you anymore. Let's grow up. Let's walk in the maturity of the faith. If you can't understand this concept, how are you going to get the rest of the world out of their mess? You're imprisoned in these trials for the sake of others. I'm teaching you so you can look at them and say, it will be all right. I've been through this as well, and God's faithful. Get your eyes off of of the world and off of you and get them on the Lord, and He'll keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. Trust me. And here they are. Jesus gets them into a boat, And he says to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. If God said we're going to the other side of the lake, what does that mean? We're going to the other side of the lake. God's word said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's why God's word is so important in a trial, because it keeps your bearings straight. It keeps your heart set, so you don't have to listen to the lies of the one who seeks to devour you and imprison you. And lie to you. And paralyze you by fear and condemnation. God said we're getting to the other side. And the winds and the waves start to rage and the storm is out of control. And Jesus is asleep. You know what you should do? Go lie down next to him. Oh, pastor, I can't rest in the middle of this. I've got to lay awake and worry. Because it helps. It does wonders for my family. Because I don't get any rest, and I'm snippy, and I'm short with them. They just love it. And my blood pressure goes up, and I get all kinds of high. It's just awesome. Awesome. The worry really does. It's a sleeping thing. I know the Scripture says that the Lord gives the rest to those He loves, but I just love to worry. I know the Scripture says, be anxious in nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. But I love to worry. I just love it. Why don't you go rest with Him in the midst of the trial? I'd rather complain and bring everyone else down with me. And they're all whining in the boat, and it's apoplexy. I mean, everyone's just running around. He says we're going to die. Are we going to die? We're going to die. We're all going to die. We're going to die. Just help. That helps the church. Get everybody all riled up. Oh, the changes. They put an aquarium in. How much does that cost? Just rile them up. He's sound asleep. He's all in control. And they woke him and they said, we're dying. And he rose and he rebuked the wind, the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was calm. You know what's fun? Jesus looks at the disciples. He goes, hey. You know, the centurion, I said, had great faith and the Samaritan woman had great faith. Apostles are like, yeah. I'm going to go to the boat on the other side. And all the a whole group of people have been following around the shores of Galilee. Thousands of people. And you can imagine the disciples are like, we're going over to the other side and we're getting in the boat with Jesus. You stay here. We're getting in the boat with Jesus. I'm going to sit next to him, lay my head on his lap because I'm the one he loves. Mm. How many want to be in the boat with Jesus? Yay. I want to be in the boat with Jesus. 
I want to be tight. We're buddies. We're pals. We're compadres. We've got a bromance. I'm in the boat with Jesus. All you people back there, hold your ground. We'll meet you on the other side. You walk on around. Straightest distance between two points, straight line. You go ahead and take that circuitous route. We're with Jesus. And you love to be in the boat with Jesus. And you know what being in the boat with Jesus means? Storms. Storms, raging. They get to the other side before the rest of the folks arrive. When they get there... It says that a, a, a guy comes out buck naked in chains who's demon-possessed. You can imagine them after the storm, they get out of the boat, and they're like, I was in the boat with Jesus, and I'm so happy to be on terra firma. And they're kissing the ground. They're like, oh. And in the middle of this, where they're just so content to be back on the ground, this guy comes up. And their heart's pounding, and they're just, what? And they, Jesus looks and says, what's your name? And you can imagine the disciples going, it's like, don't, I was going to say something, but I'm not. They were scared though. And, and, and in the midst of this, where they're just scared, Jesus says to the demon possessed man, he says, what's your name? And his response, my name is Legion. For we are many. Oh! And the disciples are like, like many? Like more than 12? They're going to kill us! What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, that's creepy. And then Jesus casts out the demons and they go into the swine. And, like, and they just run over the cliff. Deviled hand. And they run over the cliff. They run over the cliff. And, and what do you have? The, the disciples are just stunned. I mean, he, he, he calmed the waves and the wind. And then the demons and the pigs. Holy mackerel. Who is this guy? Who is he? Who did I give my heart to? Who's this rabbi I've been following? I mean, he's got this kind of power. I can trust him. Lord, help me to trust you more. I, I, I want to I follow you. Remember the parable of the soils? Scattering out the word of God? Throwing the seed. Some landed on the hard walking path. Birds came down, ate it. Nothing. Some landed in the, the shallow where the rocks were and it sprung up but the roots weren't deep and it withered in the sun. And then some of it fell in ground but there was weeds that grew up and choked it out and that's the cares of the world and it died. But then there was some of the seed that landed in the fertile ground and it produced a 1,600-fold return and that's what we're looking for in Christianity, 1,600-fold return where our lives are served for others and we watch the fruit come as we give our lives as a ransom. That The seed has to die to itself in order to produce much fruit. How do you get to that place? And are you telling me that of 100% of the people in the room, only 25% are going to make it? Some of you are going to be shallow. Others are going to be choked out by weeds. Some of you are going to be trampled and eaten by birds. And only 25% of you? The odds on that, Christianity stinks. How do you fix that? I learned in Ireland how you fix it. 
the only difference between the fertile soil and the shallow, rocky soil is it just needs a little more plowing. And those are the trials. God's plowing you. He's removing the stones to make you fertile. And those are the trials. Don't despise them. Rejoice in the middle of them. God placed you there for His glory and for others to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're going to get plowed. You're going to be in storms. Your circumstances aren't going to change. Maybe in a plane wreck. You may have a disease. You may have a child born with a a special need. Count it all joy. Get your eyes off yourself and on the Lord. God's equipping you to minister to a fallen world. And it's only temporary. For great is your reward in heaven. Rewards come later. Service is now. That's a calling to discipleship in Christ Jesus. Paul got it. We can't go on with Ephesians till we realize if Paul could say, I am in prison because of the will of God and I'm here for you. We can't move on in our discipleship until we realize it's not about us anymore, it's about others. Welcome to the body of Christ. It's time to serve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.